What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer, and you have just stepped into my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming related decree. This week, I continue my month of horror, focusing on upcoming psychological horror game, The Dark World Karma. So let's dive into the episode and experience terror on the sea. Gamers, we are officially in week three of Terror on the Sea, my month-long segment where I celebrate my love of all things horror and each week look at an upcoming horror game that I can just I just can't wait to get my hands on a controller and be terrified in that game's world. Now this week, the game in question is The Dark World Karma, and this game is developed by Pollard Studio and published by Gamera Games. We are going to be getting it on all consoles, both current and last gen, as well as on PC. Now, I have a few details that I'm able to cover with you. Again, this game is somewhat, I won't say far out, but we don't have a definitive release date. It's just 2023, so a lot of details, finite details are kind of still scarce, but I scrounged up as much as I could to talk about it with you, so here we go. It is set in a fictional city called Leviathan, and Leviathan is controlled by this giant corporation that we don't have a name for yet. And you as the player, we are going to be playing the role of an investigative officer. And we do have an official plot outline for the game. And this is it. For some reason, you've returned here. Everything has become strange. Your name, your appearance, your voice, and all your memories. Through the help of an old man, you connected with your past memories by way of a strange tape and embarked on a journey to find your memories. And this dark world experience strange encounters and wade through fragmented memories as an investigation officer. Uncover the truth and find the source of all the happenings. Now, that is the official plot outline that we are given by the development studio. And it sounds very interesting. First off, and it's going to be in a first-person perspective. It's a narrative title. That's the primary focus here. And the developers say you're going to have to be very aware of your surroundings. Now, what that exactly means yet, I don't know. But the world does have many monsters and humans that are going to be the enemy types that we're going to have to fight off or avoid. And this corporation that we are employed by, we are a Rome officer. And Rome is a very apt word here because they are someone who can infiltrate and access other people's minds. And as you do this, though, you will uncover truths about Leviathan and begin to question whether you should be working for this corporation or not. So basically, you get to go through people's minds, and it sounds like that's essentially where the bulk of the gameplay is going to take place. Exploring these memories, finding out secrets, and all the different craziness that's probably been going on in the city of Leviathan for a very long time. Now, the trailer that we saw 
it's actually very interesting, but it doesn't give a lot of answers as to what we can really expect. There's a monologue that keeps talking about someone named Danielle. I have no idea who she is, but her name comes up many times in the trailer. And, you know, I thought the first thing that really sticks out to me typically in a trailer is the graphics, the visuals, and they look really solid. And just the visual style of the environments seem very familiar to me. And uh, one of my favorite games from last generation, they very much remind me of the style of the environments in Control. Now, if you gamers have never played Control, absolutely amazing game. If you start out and you may be a little bit bored in those first opening hours, do not give up on the game. I promise you, it is just, it skyrockets with amazingness as you get further into it. Do not give up on it. But regardless, that game had a very unique visual style to its environments. And I felt like, in looking at this trailer at least, the Dark World Karma, a lot of the environments had that same kind of vibe, almost like a hypnotic look to it with the way the circular lines and eyeballs and all kinds of weird looking stuff and just the design of the furniture in some areas the architecture it just it was very very much control to me and that's a compliment now another comparison that i got from this trailer and i'm very curious to hear the reasoning and the explanation behind this but the humans, I guess is what they are, that we saw in this trailer, they all have TVs as heads. And on the TV screen is a normal human, normal looking at least, human face. And as these characters are talking and we see their lips moving on the TV screen with the words that are being said. So I don't know what the story is there, but I'm very intrigued to find out. I'm sure it has something to do with the corporation and... Uh, controlling people and whatnot but the similarity here for another game to me is with the tv heads and it's none other than this past summer's cult hit breakout hit i'll even say stray and i talked about it a lot on my previous shows i got a review out there check it out if you want the fine details of that game my thoughts on it but ultimately, I love that game. But in that game's world, there are humanoid robots that have essentially TVs for heads. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow. It's like you got the humanoid robots from Stray and the worlds of control. Very interesting. But I don't know. There was definitely a creepy vibe to this trailer. And it looks like delving into people's minds is just going to be this crazy trip with some cool approaches to visual representations of things and whatnot and i'm sure it's just the whole corrupt corporation etc etc kind of backstory uh that's affecting this city of leviathan but i really want to know who danielle is too to be honest with you guys i, I really i gotta know like who is this danielle that this guy keeps talking about in the monologue of this trailer i mean there's even one point two. just going back to the tv heads i just put <laughs> putting this out there there is apparently an execution. I mean, it, I don't know. The one guy is on a stage and he's, he pulls a gun and shoots the guy. It's just crazy stuff going on here in this trailer. But it's very interesting. We don't really have any details or I haven't seen any details, read any details yet on any kind of combat, if there is combat or how you interact with enemies, except for the fact that there are enemies in this game. So again... It looks pretty decently along because the trailer was in engine, but again, no specific release date. It's only 2023 is all we got. So I don't know how much more is left to finish or 
how much longer we will have to wait until we see really just somebody kind of a gameplay walkthrough and see what potential combat may be like. But just trying to figure out and think of what this game could be. I'm sure it's a lot of puzzle solving. The story-driven aspect of it really is going to be a major focus, it sounds like, from reading what I have read and sharing with you that information now, which I'm all about. I love super massive games. If you've listened to me before, you know that. And story is a massive part of the gameplay experience for me. And I don't think we'll have to worry about that lacking here and the dark world karma. So again, can't wait to play this game, and it will be releasing on all consoles and PC sometime in 2023. That'll do it for this week's Terror on the Sea. Now, let's go open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, this past week has been a very soft week for me as far as my amount of time that I've actually been able to play since I last updated you on my progress. But it's not necessarily this week about the quantity of time that is the important part here, for me at least. It's about the quality of that time and what I was able to accomplish in that time as I was playing Ghostwire Tokyo. So if you've been following my show... You know that I have been very close to finishing this game, and I was pretty much mopping up the final side missions, collectibles, and hunting down all those spirits, the 240,300 spirits that are in the game's world. Before I went on and finalized the final two chapters of this game and the credits roll. So in that four hours, I was able to do everything I needed to do and guys, I am very excited to say I was able to complete Ghostwire Tokyo throughout my play sessions this past week. Absolutely stoked about that. And one reason is because it frees me up between now and my vacation that I had referenced earlier. Because when I get back from vacation, a Playtale Requiem is already going to be out. And I'm going to want to jump right into that bad boy. Lose myself to its world and Amicia and Hugo's new struggle can't wait to play that game so i'm very very happy that i was able to complete ghostwire tokyo a few other details that i'll leave for surprise as the show progresses but let's just say that the final two chapters weren't too bad story progression wise a lot of eh, interesting stuff happened i'll say to say the least and i, I really appreciated the way that it kind of came together but the fine tooth comb details of my opinions of every aspect of this game are definitely coming in the form of a review, which you can expect to see from me at some point in the course of the month of October. So by month's end, I should have my review for Ghostwire Tokyo out there for you guys to take in all the details if you so please. So that was the main bulk of what I played this past week, but out of that four hours in Ghostwire Tokyo, if you really think about it for a second, there's a lot of things, if you've listened to me in the last couple months, you know that I was going for goal-wise within the game. Maybe some trophy specifics and maybe some other things here or there. So next up is my highlight of the week. Out of all the potential things that I could talk about and that would make that highlight of the week, what do you think it is? Let's go find out.
Gamers as stated, there are actually a decent amount of things that could potentially be my highlight of the week this past week out of that four hours that I put into Ghostwire Tokyo. But I'm going to tell you the one thing that trumped everything else. And there was a lot of really cool things that happened for me in this game in that four hours. But the one thing that was the absolute highlight for me was transferring that final bundle of spirits for the total of 240,300 spirits. Gamers, if you've been listening to me for a little while now, you know that I have been really, really trying and putting some time in here recently to get all those spirits tracked down and to finally, finally transfer that final bundle of spirits and get that trophy for 100% transferred spirits, as well as the Hero of Shibuya trophy, which if you didn't know, that requires you to transfer 100% of all spirits in the city before you complete the story. So guys, I just can't tell you how good it felt to transfer, not just transfer, on my way to the phone booth, which is if you hadn't played the game or heard my previous shows, the phone booth is what you have to transfer the spirits through. So you you find it, uh, there's thousands of them throughout Shibuya. You just find the nearest one. And boy, I tell you, I couldn't bring up that map quick enough and, and find the this nearest, absolute nearest icon of a telephone booth and get there. And there was just this certain sense of excitement that welled up into me as I got closer and closer, one step, two step, right there into the booth. And I'm clicking those buttons, L2 to interact, transfer spirits, yes. And man, to see that trophy pop and to just know that my quest is complete, man, it was such a good feeling and just oh, a long time coming is what it really felt like. So that was my highlight of the week. But again, there is a newer segment that I had introduced to the show eh, somewhat recently ago, and I'm actually going to rename it to something different. I had started a new segment called The Road to Platinum 10, but what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to add a new segment in addition to that called Platinum Pursuit. And what that is, is every time I'm getting close to a platinum or I'm going for a platinum, I will discuss my progress as such. So in the first segment, the first time, let's go check out Platinum Pursuit. Gamers, in this first Platinum Pursuit segment, it is no surprise to any of you, I'm sure, that yes, I did in fact unlock the Platinum Trophy for Ghostwire Tokyo. And if you don't play on PlayStation or if you aren't aware in general, getting a Platinum Trophy in a PlayStation game requires you to essentially just unlock every other trophy in the game. And then PlayStation, they give you that extra little icing on the cake or cherry on top of that platinum trophy and there's just something special about it it's got its own little jingle and it's just ah it feels good when you get a platinum like when you get all thousand g in a xbox game but i gotta be honest there's something extra special about that platinum trophy so therefore anytime i am going for a platinum in a game i will mention it in my platinum pursuit segment here and i will share my progress as i get closer i still plan on having my road to platinum 10 as this is now my ninth Platinum. So I am one Platinum away. I don't know yet which game it's going to end up being to give me that 10th Platinum. 
But I will obviously continue to keep you posted and let you know how my progress goes and what game will have the honor of being my first double-digit platinum and that beautiful rounded number 10. Next up, let's go open up a chest of buried treasure gaming tips I have for you in Ghostwire Tokyo. Gamers, as you have heard me state numerous times now, going after all 240,300 spirits in Ghostwire Tokyo is a daunting task. So this week in Buried Treasure, I am going to share with you the tips that I absolutely recommend to shorten the amount of time that you're going to have to spend trying to hunt all these things down. Because don't get me wrong, in the beginning of the game, and for the majority of the game as you're playing through, I mean, these spirits are everywhere, everywhere. You can't turn left or right or go up or down without running into sometimes even multiple bundles of spirits. But believe it or not, you are going to get to a point towards the end of the game where they are few and far between. And you are literally just kind of going around like, where are these spirits at? Now, luckily, the game provides you a lot of tools for you to be able to track these things down. And if the game didn't do some of the things that it offers you, oh man, it would have been an absolute just grind of a nightmare, in my opinion. And honestly, was after a point for me because I realized some of these tips too late, which is another reason why I wanted to share them with you. So first off, let me just say, I think I've mentioned it before, the map, the in-game map, it does on the Tory Gate icons, when you hover over them, or the shrine icons, they're essentially viewpoints in the game. If you play Assassin's Creed, you unlock a viewpoint at defogs an area, and kind of that cone of vision that branches out from the viewpoint or from that location, it shows you all the interactable collectibles or other icons in that area. Well, it's the same kind of concept here with a Tory Gate or a shrine in Ghostwire Tokyo. So the point is, you obviously want to make sure you get all of those cleansed first. So once you do that and you have defogged the entire map, it'll make things a lot easier. Not just because you can see certain things, but also because of fast travel. Because it's going to be coming in very, very handy once you start trying to search and find all of these spirits. Now the other big plus to these Tory Gates and these shrines is when you hover over their icon on the map, it also shows you on a percentage completion bar how many spirits in that little zone or cone of vision you have. So if there's 100% in each zone, right, and you've gotten 50% and you've gotten 5,000 souls, you know that you still need 5,000 more souls you got to track down. And each bundle of souls typically can run you anywhere from as minimal as 100 to anywhere from six, seven hundred a piece. So it just kind of varies and depends on the type of bundle and the location, etc., etc. But first off, you want to make sure you defog and cleanse all the Tory gates and shrines. Then you want to be able to utilize and that piece of information the game provides you. That way you can tell and you don't have to waste time searching areas that you've already got 100% of the souls in that area. Now, the other thing, do not really put a lot of time into spirit hunting at the end of the game until you make sure you have the spirit perception beads. These are absolutely crucial to saving you massive amounts of time. And you can find them once you cleanse the Hitani Shrine and the Sayamana Building rooftop 
Tori Gate. So those two locations, again, the Hatani Shrine and the Sayahamna Building Rooftop Tori Gate, those are the two locations where you, once you cleanse those areas, your reward are the spirit perception beads one and two, which basically each, the second one extends the range of vision you have for being able to perceive where the location is for spirits. So essentially what happens is when you use your spectral vision, press square on the dual sense, it will, a blue little light, ball of light will shoot out from you and whatever direction it goes in, essentially you just follow the light and keep using spectral vision until you get to the bundle of spirits. And trust me, it saved me so much time and headache in the very, very end. I was down to probably my last 6,000 or so spirits. And no matter how much I felt like I scoured the different regions using the, hey, you got 98.9% in this region. Okay, well, where are these spirits at? No matter how many times I did it, multiple times, I still couldn't find these spirits. And eventually I found out about the spirit perception beads. Guys, do not sleep on them. Absolutely go after them and wait as far as you can towards the end of the game before you start using them and absolutely use them in your hunt for those spirits. And especially if you have your own trophy hunting obsession out there, there's two trophies that require you to transfer all the spirits from Shibuya. So if you're going for those, you gotta use these methods. And I promise you, you will find success. Now let's go check out this week's Captain's Decree. Gamers, this past week, there were rumors put out online that there may in fact be a remaster in the works, a PS5 remaster for Horizon Zero Dawn. That's right, the PS4 generation, already amazing looking and playing first game in Aloy's series, is rumored to be getting a PS5 remaster. Now again, this is a pure rumor right now. There's no credibility to it. There is no factuality to it. But it got me thinking, and here is this week's decree. Not every game needs a remake or a remaster. It just, it, it baffles my mind. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about it and I'm like, man. So first, let me just clarify in case anybody is not 100% sure on the difference between a remaster and a remake. So a remaster, you basically take the original base game that came out on, say, in this case, Zero Dawn on the PS4. You take that PS4 version, you sharpen up the graphics a little bit, you increase the fidelity, you maybe fine-tune a few things here or there control-wise, but overall, outside of some visuals, maybe some upgrade and sound quality here or there, there's not really a whole lot that is technically done when a game is remastered. But when you remake, when we talk about a remake, that's typically, that means from the ground up. I mean, there was nothing, and then there was something. <laughs> and it's a game that had previously released, Typically, it's multiple generations of hardware previously, and then now they're looking to reinvigorate that franchise or update that original game to do things that it couldn't have had done before with new hardware and new functionalities like the DualSense and whatnot. So that's the difference between remaster and remake. And I got to tell you, 
you know, from in my opinion, remasters a lot of times they just kind of feel like a quick cash grab to me. When I think of Destroy All Humans and Destroy All Humans 2 reprobed, I can't help but think that you know these two games are touted as remakes, but from what I've seen and from what Graveyard Gamer, great friend of this podcast and of me, amazing podcast right here on Anchor and many other platforms. Check his show out if you haven't. If you like my show, you'll definitely love his. I promise you that. But he has actually played the Destroy All Humans remake. And he pretty much told me, like, look, all the things that were issues with this game that were back in the day on the 360 and PS3 generation, they're still here. Sure, the graphics are a little bit prettier, but even those aren't that much better. They don't look like they're Series X or PS5, per se. And they just came out with a remake, quote-unquote, of Destroy All Humans 2. So you look at also Medieval, one of my favorite games on PlayStation 1. I was so ecstatic about Medieval being, quote-unquote, remade for PS4. Well, I played the remake and I'm thinking again, a remake is supposed to be rebuilt, remade from the ground up. And sure, don't get me wrong. The visuals, very, very nice on PS4 when you're comparing them to the PS1 graphics that the original game had. But the gameplay, you're still playing a PS1 game. What did you guys update and remake about the controls and about the gameplay and the save system? And there's many other things that I could talk about with that game. But my point is, if you're going to remake a game, actually remake the game. And don't just remaster it with some prettier graphics and try to get a quick cash grab out of it. In addition to that, I think about other rumors like Recently, we for a long time now, actually, not even just recently, rumors of a remake of Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid 3. It just it never ends. All these different remakes. Everybody wants remakes, remakes, remakes. And we just had The Last of Us Part 1. That remake came out. You had, honestly, I would say it's been very divisive. You have a lot of people who are very passionately against it and a lot of people who are passionately for it. Me, I'm kind of indifferent. I don't necessarily feel that it was necessary to remake The Last of Us Part 1. I understand why maybe Sony wanted to redo that game with today's hardware and really fully take advantage of the dual sense and just, man, bring that world into some of the quality of life improvements and additions that were made for Last of Us Part 2. But I still, at the end of the day, I question, was it necessary? We had the original game on PS3. We had the remaster on PS4, which is actually what I played. But do we really need a remake on the PS5? I mean, I don't feel like it was that long ago the original game came out. I want to say it was maybe 2013, roughly in that area. So if it's not even a decade since the the original game came out... And we've already had a remaster since that initial launch. What are we doing here? And then you talk about upcoming Dead Space 1. Obviously, that is getting remade and coming out as of this recording at the end of January of 23. Now, at that point, you know, the original Dead Space came out in October of 2008. So we're talking 14 and a half years, just about, by the time this remake comes out. And I am a, a, a very much professed fan of that series, and I'm all about playing this game. I can't wait. I will say I am more excited for the Callisto Protocol, which is a spiritual successor to the Dead Space franchise. No argument there. No secret, really, I don't feel like, with the development team and Glenn Schofield, the creator of Dead Space, 
on the Callisto protocol. But regardless, it's a new experience. So for me, Dead Space, as much as I love that original, a part of me wishes there was a Dead Space 4. Something brand new. And I get it. You know, a lot of gamers, maybe you gamers, haven't experienced the Dead Space franchise yet. And this is your introduction to it. So, you know, there's good things that can come from remasters even, as well as remakes. But what should or shouldn't be redone? You know, what causes that line to be drawn to make that decision of when it's necessary or unnecessary? I can tell you right now, I do not believe that it is necessary at all for Zero Dawn, Horizon Zero Dawn, to be remastered even. I just, I don't think it's necessary. We just had earlier this year the launch of Horizon Forbidden West, a massive, amazing game taking full advantage of the PS5. We, we don't need to remaster or update or upgrade every single game that was popular in previous generations. We just don't need to. I don't think it's necessary. Certain franchises, sure, we need to continue to figure out a way to reboot them. And maybe some of them I'm more biased towards, like the Dino Crises and Silent Hills of years past. I would love to see those two franchises rebooted. But when is the right time to remaster or remake? And at the end of the day, all we got to tell ourselves is, developers, not every game needs a remake or a remaster. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as search for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. Or find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming, as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.